0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Pit and Roll podcast again, same as last week. This one is open to everyone to listen to. We had Olgan Ulrich on last week from ESPN, and we're going with the same method again this week. With the NBA season right on our doorstep, we're going to talk about Philadelphia. We're going to talk about Ben Simmons because we probably didn't get to uh, Ben as much as we would have liked to last week. Uh, Before I bring in today's guest, I have to give uh, a big congratulations to the Southside Flyers. And for those that aren't subscribed to the Pick and Roll and haven't had access to some of our earlier episodes, you should probably do so. We spoke to Sarah Blitzovs and also Jenna O'Hay with a little cameo from Liz Cambage up there in the Queensland hub that they were in the flyers. They said right from the start of the season, absolutely loaded. I'm I'm definitely not surprised that they were able to win the championship. So congratulations to uh, those guys. And of course, some big news with the NBL this week with not only the season starting in early January, but the hub, a Melbourne hub is going to be played out during February as well, which You know, I I see some negativity because, of course, if you don't live in Victoria, then perhaps you might feel that you're being a little bit hard done by. But for me, as a basketball fan in general, bring it on. I cannot wait to watch the NBL every single day through that period. NBA during the day, NBL at night. It's going to be fantastic, so we can't wait for that. Joining me now on the show, from the US, from the ringer, John Gonzalez on... As I'm sitting here, we are about 24 hours away from tip-off in the 2021 NBA season, which is pretty ridiculous in itself. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Uh, How are you doing, John?
1: Honored. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am like you. Didn't we just finish basketball and (laughs) basketball's back already?
0: Well, I think the craziest thing about it is that it didn't feel like there was any off-season this year because mm. as soon as the NBA playoffs finished, you went straight into the draft, then free agency, and then training camp preseason, and here we are. So I think that's the weirdest thing. We didn't have any terrible uh, summer league basketball to watch and complain about. <laughs> I think that was the biggest thing we missed.
1: I forgot about summer league. You know what? If there's anything good about COVID, and there really isn't, uh, <laughs> but if there's, if there's any, any silver lining, it's that summer league didn't exist. Nobody had to go to Vegas in the middle of the summer uh, and watch G-Leaguers, and that, you know, we were spared from that fate, at least for this year.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't have to go through the yearly routine of thinking, I haven't watched basketball for a while, I'm pretty pumped up about Summer League, this is going to be good, <laughs> and then halfway through the first quarter of the first game remembering remembering exactly what it's like.
1: Yeah, I was a uh, victim to that same condition as you, where uh, I'd convince myself, you know what, I, I could really get into some Sixers <laughs> Summer League. And then, yeah, I get into it and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I really need to talk to myself and like, get a hobby. Uh, so, so thankfully, we were spared from that.
0: The one player I will say, I, I was at the first Summer League I went to, I guess must have been two or three years ago now. And Christian Wood was playing for the Bucks, and, and man, this guy just was killing everyone. I, I think he averaged, you know, 25 points, 12 rebounds, something ridiculous like that. And I did get sucked in, as you always do. I was like, man, mm-hmm. Christian Wood, this guy's just been bouncing around. He hasn't been able to land anywhere. This might be a player to watch. Uh, it's taken a few years, but maybe, well, he got his payday now, but maybe Christian Wood. Christian Wood is looking like a, a decent acquisition for a team I have a feeling we're going to talk about a little bit, the Houston Rockets.
1: He is definitely a hot name right now. I was a a Christian Wood disbeliever up until this past season. And uh, yeah, now I'm starting to think that maybe Christian Wood has a little something uh, that maybe teams should have given him a a longer look, but he lands with the Rockets and and Godspeed to him. I just wonder like that situation is so volatile and obviously (laughs) nobody knows what to make out of what's happening with James Harden. And I just wonder like, With all the potential moving parts, what happens to poor Christian Wood? He might have finally found a good situation that turned into a bad one, but uh, I wish him well.
0: Well, you mentioned James Harden, so we're going to talk about the Sixers today. That's why we've got you here, and we had a bit of an NBA wrap-up on last week's show, and we didn't even really get to Ben Simmons, but the Sixers still, to me, uh, I've said this for a long period of time, for anyone that's not a Sixers fan but their team is in the East and they're looking to contend. The worst thing that could possibly happen in the Eastern Conference is Philadelphia getting some stability with their coaching and in their front office. And they've certainly tried to do that this offseason, bringing in Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey. And I think I'd be curious to know what you thought about the Doc Rivers signing because when they first hired him as coach, I thought to myself, well, I'm not sure that this is a terrifying Coaching hire from an X's and O point of view from on the court, but what you know he's going to do is he's going to give them a best shot of bringing this roster together at least, which feels like it has been a problem in the past. And so uh, I'm not sure. What did you think about the Doc Rivers signing?
1: Yeah, and I say this with the caveat that I give to everybody when they ask me about Doc Rivers, which is that I was a big Brett Brown guy. I think he's like one of the good people in the league. Genuinely, uh, I also say that like you know, there's a handful of coaches at the super top of the league that are indisputably better than everybody else, and then a handful of coaches at the bottom of the league that are indisputably worse. And then everybody else is sort of interchangeable, I think, as far as coaches go. Uh, That said, I think Doc Rivers is as good uh, of a coach as they could have possibly brought in. Um, And also, I think he's a perfect fit for Philadelphia. I had four years of Doc Rivers here in Los Angeles where I got to talk to him uh, spend some time with him, and he is the type of outsized personality that Philadelphia generally towards to gravitate, uh, generally tends to gravitate towards. Uh, Brett Brown was too, but I think Doc is also one of those guys who's just quick with a joke, quick with a story. Philly's gonna like him for sure. Now, to your point about the X's and O's. Daryl Morey probably made that a little bit easier by unclogging the court and getting some spacing issues that they had last year by moving Al Horford along and Josh Richardson goes out and Seth Curry comes in and they get some shooting. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I was happy with the Doc Rivers signing. I, I think Philly is going to be happy with the Doc Rivers signing, at least initially, because eventually Philly gets unhappy with everybody.
0: I actually was taken aback a little bit. And, it first of all, it's, I think all Philadelphia sports, the fan base, let's they, they say they're passionate but mm-hmm. I was taken back a little bit. Anytime I uh, said anything or, you know, put on, online or wrote anything positive about Brett Brown, somehow the Sixers fans would find it and they were ferocious about Brett Brown. And I kind of agree with you because every time I spoke to him, it was hard not to speak to this guy and not walk away and think, man, I want good, nothing but good things for this man. I, I just want him to have success because he is that engaging personality and to your point, um, you know, and I've had little experience with, with Doc Rivers, but at the same time, it's, it's always been the same kind of um, feeling I've walked away with. So for Brett Brown to, you know, go through everything that he went through and a lot of losing that was kind of out of his hands to, to not be able to get yeah. over the hump, I guess, with the Sixers does kind of suck.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I wish Brett nothing but the best, but 1000% what you're saying. I mean, I think sometimes certainly in Philadelphia, but, but sports fandom writ large, it's easy to, um see these people as abstractions rather than as human beings. And Brett, during one of the toughest eras that any <laughs> sports team has gone through, was the consummate professional was constantly out front on behalf of the organization, taking heat for everybody. Uh, he used to have a joke where uh, early on in the process era where the, the roster was just a revolving door, he used to have a joke where he'd say, you know, I'd, I'd meet the new guy, I'd shake his hand, and I'd put him in the lineup uh and that was like what he had to deal with this this ever rotating cast of characters that he barely knew their names before they were in, you know they come in and then they're gone by the time he gets to know them so uh i think considering how difficult it was of a job for him to do he did it as well as anybody could possibly do it and and he did it with aplomb uh and he was one of those people that uh i think was always there for his players was there for his organization, was there for the city, and and wherever he signs on next, they're going to get a good one.
0: You mentioned the revolving door in terms of you know early days when you could watch a Sixers game, and even if you're a big basketball fan, you might not know who you're watching on the floor. But even the last few years, I've said the same thing, and this is why it was so difficult for Brett Brown and for the Sixers to really find that consistent success. I mean, clearly, they were always going to be a playoff team if you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, but the guys around them have constantly changed as well it just feels like the Sixers have always been searching for something that I think people on the outside have said well it's it's not hard we know what you should be searching for and it's not Al Horford and it's not uh, Mm. Tobias Harris and these guys to play around Ben Simmons so this year as you pointed to they added Seth Curry and Danny Green and I think just remove some of the clutter on the roster that should open things up a little bit even if I do get the sense and uh, I was listening to Zach Lowe a couple of days ago and he sort of suggested something similar he said I think we're all so excited about the fact that they've added Seth Curry and Danny Green without actually sitting back and saying well it actually is only Seth Curry and Danny Green but I think the (laughs) skill sets the skill sets that those players bring could be enough to to take this team to the next level because clearly last year it was it was just ill-fitting.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's why, the, you know, with respect to Doc Rivers and, and his long uh, and illustrious <laughs> career in the NBA as a head coach, I think that the bigger signing uh, and the bigger change this offseason was obviously Daryl Morey, right? Because you're absolutely right. I, I think uh, as basketball nerds and certainly in Philadelphia, people got very excited about Seth Curry and, and Danny Green not being Al Horford. Mm-hmm. It's less about those guys, though, than about the concept. Because the, I thought certainly the most difficult thing that Daryl Morey was going to have to do to remake this roster was unplugging or unclogging Uh, the spacing issues, which they obviously had too much of, right? They they decided that they were going to be the bully ball team in an era that doesn't really reward that anymore. And they signed Al Horford to a bloated contract, and it was going to be awfully difficult to get off of that and then, you know, fix their issues. He managed to do that with one stroke almost immediately. Now, are Seth Curry and Danny Green the long-term solutions? Uh, I'm going to wager probably not. Uh, However, conceptually, having shooters who will space the floor uh, is a good thing. So will they be there long term? It seems unlikely. They'll, they'll put some other pieces into that situation. But I like the idea of what they're trying to do. And then eventually, hopefully, they'll get some players who may be better at executing it.
0: What's your sense for what happened last offseason or what's led them down this path? Because it's funny, when I was doing some um, yeah, just looking up some numbers from Seth Curry, and and sometimes even though the Mavericks were were pretty basically must watch last year, uh, if, when you look closely at the numbers for Seth Curry and the shooting numbers, it's it's pretty. Extraordinary the, the way he was shooting the ball last season. I think he was 48% on catch and shoot threes. And Ben Simmons, we know there was only two players in the league that assisted more three pointers than him, and that was LeBron and Luca, by the way, who played with Seth. So it's going to be a pretty good situation for those two. But the, the one thing that stood out to me was that there was only five players in the league last year that averaged over 42% from three that had more than 300 three point attempts. And a couple of them got paid. Bertans and Joe Harris got paid big money this Mm offseason because they can shoot, probably overpaid, but teams are willing to pay for that in this uh, era right now. And then Seth Curry was another one. And JJ Redick, who, you know, ironically, was on the Sixers. So I'm just wondering, what do you think? Why did they try to go so big last year? Was that in a response to anything? It just, at the time, it didn't make sense. And 12 months on, it still doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, I think they kind of got caught in a situation where, uh, you know, at least on paper, it would have been better, obviously, to bring back Jimmy Butler, but there were signs that Jimmy didn't want to come back. And then after you realize that Jimmy doesn't want to come back, you look around and you go, "Uh uh-oh, what do we do to add an extra piece? And I still think, I think Al Horford is going to have a a resurgent Mm -hmm. year just because there's not a lot of options in that front court and OKC. And he's going to get a lot of minutes and his stats will probably look better than they were last year. Uh, But Part of it was who can you get, and I think that there was also a component where they talked themselves into Al Horford previously being the Joel Embiid playoff stopper, and now you uh, you take that away from the Celtics, and of course that clears the deck for the Sixers to win the Eastern Conference. And uh, as we learned in the playoffs in the bubble in Orlando, that was very much not the case. So uh, Godspeed to Al Horford, but that that whole big man bully ball, we're going to be uh, larger and tougher than everybody else in the Eastern Conference it's not that era anymore. The the Detroit Pistons aren't the the bad boys anymore and the Sixers don't have thump and bump. So you got to go with a different, a different plan.
0: Yeah. Horford's going to be a weird player because I think that the Sixers, I I think in years um, to come, you might forget that he was on the Sixers for that one year period. And you'll see photos of Al Horford playing for the Sixers and you'll have to remind yourself of, of what went down last season. But you mentioned the first round series against the Celtics and I, I do think that it's overlooked the fact that Ben Simmons wasn't there. I mean, because, uh, mm. you know, personally, I look at the East, and I do think that there's a bunch of teams that are going to contend, but none of those teams should really scare anyone. I mean, uh, any results could... I, I could buy any results. I could buy the Sixers getting to the finals. I could buy the Celtics. I could buy the Bucs. Um, the Nets, obviously, if Kevin Durant continues to look the way that he's looked. So no Ben Simmons in the, uh, in the bubble there what is the approval rating for Ben Simmons in Philadelphia? Because I, I I think it's really fascinating that they've gone through, and I hate using the word process, but they've gone through this process with those two as the franchise cornerstones. And it's been long enough now. You know, Once you start to get yeah. to three or four seasons, you're like, okay, well, are they going to get over the hump? Are they going to fit? Are they going to show any signs that they really truly get along it's just been such a weird period but the talent is there that they should be a championship contender so is there impatience is there frustration with with Ben
1: yeah I I think it's a mixed bag I mean I'll speak uh on behalf I've been empowered to speak on behalf of all of Philadelphia (laughs) I think I think people realize that he's he's hyper talented and then also multiple things can be true at the same time he can be really good and also it might not fit uh I'm I am of the mindset that it's awfully difficult to get two players of that caliber of that age who are under control uh, for the foreseeable future, right? Those are pieces that every franchise in the NBA would want. Now, do those two pieces fit together? That's a question that's left open, but I'm uh, willing to let it play out with a new coach, with a new system uh, where he might be in pick and roll more with some shooters around him, as we keep saying over and over again, that's creating space for both him and Joel Embiid, which in theory should make their lives easier. Uh, I want to see how that goes first before I would say, "Hey, let's decouple these guys." It's not going to work out. You know, we'll jettison one for uh, some other big name, uh, but you know, those two guys in that town at that time haven't had an an easy hand dealt to them, right? I mean, it was really bad basketball for a while, then all of a sudden they got good. And uh, that team with, let's not forget, a couple years ago, that team with, as you mentioned, J.J. Redick, they get Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler. That team, they didn't have a ton of games together. I think it was like 22 games where they played with those five guys. But those five guys had the best offensive rating in the NBA at the time. And if not for a crazy all-time four-bounce shot by Kawhi Leonard, who knows where they go? Because those Raptors, I spent the entire playoffs with them Every time I asked them, they said that the hardest series that they had was against those Sixers. So one bounce, who knows? Maybe we're looking at it differently. So I think you got to give it a little bit more time.
0: I do remember I was in Milwaukee at the time watching that game and I was basically just waiting to figure out where I was going to book my flights to. And I'm just like, you know, can we just wrap up this game? Can we just finish this so I know where I'm going to go next? In the end, it was Toronto and not Philadelphia. which you know Spoken like a
1: true journalist. Thinking about us on our travel
0: plans. Listen, as you said, though, that, that's something I've thought about a lot as well. The fact that everyone talks about the Raptors and the run they had and even the Eastern Conference Finals. But again, you know, one bounced differently. And Philadelphia, Jimmy Butler, obviously, was having an insane game that night yeah. as well, then things could have changed. I've always been on, and, and I don't know, maybe I am biased, I don't know, but I've always been on the the, the bandwagon that if you're going to trade one of those guys, I would probably still trade Joel Embiid. And the only reason I feel that way is because, and, and this, feels, this feels a bit silly to say, but I do have concerns long-term about Joel Embiid still um, just such a big guy. And... Yeah. I, and I and I look at Ben, and as you said, when he's been maximized with lineups around him, and I understand that, you know, if you if you're looking at a, a a guy that you hopefully can see as a top five player in the league, then you shouldn't have to fill a roster around him. He should be able to make everyone better. I know that's the ideal situation, but it's not necessarily reality. But Ben Simmons, to me, you can maximize him easily, as we've said, with guys with role players that can shoot, and there's not many more dynamic players than Ben Simmons. If he has shooters around him when he gets out in transition, grabs the rebound, pushes the pace, it's a joy to watch. I just think it would be a real shame if they moved on from Ben Simmons without giving it a new shot with this new roster with Doc Rivers at the helm. I do think that it would be a mistake, even though you're talking about a guy like James Harden potentially coming in.
1: Yeah, I I would like to see. I I I wonder about what kind of leverage Houston has if they were going to move James Harden. Uh, I I don't know that you need to give up on a Ben Simmons, but I'm I'm with you that I would like to see more from him. My thing with Ben isn't that uh, I doubt his talent. He's got it, you know, copious amounts of it. I mean, we've all seen it on display, uh, time and time and time again. He's one of the the best players in the NBA. He's certainly one of the best defenders in the NBA, and one of the most versatile defenders in the NBA because he can guard so many uh, positions. He can really switch one through five in the modern NBA. My thing with Ben Simmons, though, is that regular season Ben Simmons has been decidedly different than postseason Ben Simmons, and there's a reason for that. As we all know, postseason basketball is a completely different animal, and sometimes it doesn't even uh, resemble the the version that we see during the regular season. And more times than not, during his playoff history, he's been marginalized. And part of that was by design because they would like move him into the dunker spot and take the ball out of his hands. But part of it was just functionality and and what the other teams were doing, right? I mean, with the ball in his hands in the playoffs, we all saw time and again, how everybody would sag off of him and dare him to shoot. And he never would. And that functionally cripples an offense. So until he, not so much even gets a shot as is willing to take it, at least make guys come up on him uh, rather than sagging and clogging all the lanes that he would otherwise enjoy. It's a different type of thing. So we really do need to see some sort of progression from him so that when they do get into the playoffs, he becomes more of a threat than he's been in the past because in the past he's been marginalized.
0: Yeah. Watching this play out from a media perspective has been so fascinating because I, I think the point you made is exactly right. It's not, I've never felt that he he needs to get that shot. And I think it's been overblown that he needs to become this type of shooter from the outside and he needs to be able to do that because the reality is at this point in his career, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, we've we've seen it with Giannis and he's got to at least a point where he'll shoot it. But as you've pointed to, it's different in the regular season to the postseason. And in the playoffs, teams just aren't going to care. They're not going to respect that shot. So the chances that Ben Simmons goes from 0% to 30%, it's just not likely but I, I think perhaps the concerning thing is that he hasn't shown any willingness to try. And, the and trying I, is the thing. Yeah.
1: And you mentioned with Giannis, I mean, we all, nobody's under the, uh, you know, nobody's disillusioned or, or under the illusion that Giannis is going to become a marksman, uh, but Giannis will shoot the ball. I mean, there are times when you go, oh, maybe you shouldn't shoot the ball, Giannis, Uh, go back to your regular game, but that's something that he's willing to try, and I think that's been the frustration ultimately with the Sixers and with Sixers fans is that he hasn't done that, and that's the progression I'm really looking for, Just just the possibility that there might be something else, because if there isn't, then everybody knows how to defend him in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point you make. And uh, I wonder then, uh, again, you talk about a a guy like Joel Embiid, and it's been fascinating to see how his game has kind of changed, I think, a little bit because of Ben as well. He spends time out on the perimeter. And some games you'll watch Joel Embiid, and maybe it's fatigue. I I think everyone probably understands that at at times he doesn't look like he's in the the best shape to be running (laughs) up and down the floor, and he'll just start jacking up threes. And we've seen that. We've seen games where he'll shoot 10 threes, and you sort of wonder what he's doing. But again, I What's the answer? Do you think that those two actually, long term, would be able to find a way to play given their their limitations in their game? I mean, we are still when I talk about limitations, we're still talking about two top twenty players in the league. I mean, it's a it's a great duo, but uh, there's some clear holes.
1: Kane, are you telling me that you're skeptical that Joel Embiid is not actually in career best shape as he claims to be?
0: Um, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, and uh, I, you know, that that's that's always been the biggest concern with me coming into the postseason as well. You know, I, I can't see this guy getting through a seven game series.
1: Yeah, I mean, and those are valid, right? Until I remember a couple of years ago when I, well, I guess it's more than a couple of years ago now, when I first moved out to Los Angeles, I had a conversation with J.J. Redick, who was then on the Clippers. And he said, you know, everybody talks about this narrative that we haven't made it to the Western Conference finals. And that's valid until we do. And, and we will. Well, they never did. Right. So everybody talks about that narrative with Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid doesn't really like hearing about how he does, he's not in shape or the playoffs roll around. And after an injury, he looks like he's playing himself back into shape. Well, he might not like it, but everybody will continue to do it until and unless he changes that narrative himself. And so far, he hasn't done it, so it's completely valid. Uh, In the same way that it's valid to criticize playoff Ben Simmons. I mean, we haven't seen the best version of Ben, and we haven't seen the healthiest, most in shape version of Joel. So uh, these are concerns that will continue to linger for everybody until they themselves change it.
0: I feel like this has been a super negative conversation, which is kind of, it, which, which feels like, but honestly- Very Philadelphia. It, it, well, yeah. And, and it does feel like this is the only conversation to have about the Sixers, which is so bizarre because again, I, I mentioned it earlier, but this is a team that there is, it, you, it wouldn't surprise me if this team goes through and reaches the NBA finals, which is so funny because if you're talking about a team that is expected or uh, has high hopes of contending, Um, normally I think the conversation wouldn't be so negative, but this is just what we've seen from this team. And I think the point you made about needing to prove it is why everyone remains so curious or skeptical or whatever word you want to use about this team.
1: I'm going to bring it back uh, to our summer league slash preseason conversation. So, So three months ago, after they get swept out by the Boston Celtics, I was completely out on the Sixers. I'll never believe in them again. I watched the first preseason game against the (laughs) Celtics. I'm in. I think they're going to the finals. Do we plan the parade? Am I going to be wearing a mask? Will there be vaccinations by then? Uh, They looked really good. It's a different system. It's three months later. I'm with you that this had come off as uh, slightly more negative because I am feeling surprisingly optimistic about this team and its prospects. Uh, when you know history would probably teach me otherwise but new year new system let's see how it goes
0: well I don't have it in front of me but last year when we talk about questions that were repeatedly asked to Brett Brown I think I only covered five or six Sixers games last season but every single press conference I went to it was all they were all road games by the way so naturally every single question was What's going on on the road with this team? Why can't you guys win on the road? And I, I don't know exactly what the record was, but I, I know yeah. that they, they only won two, uh, only lost two games, I think, at home, and only won, you know, six or seven on the road. It was absolutely astounding. I, I, I couldn't figure it out. And the only, honestly, the only thing I could put it down to is that the team didn't like each other because I don't understand how you get on a plane and then go and play and everything falls apart like that. It doesn't make sense. But again, that's, that's again why you sit here and say, well, I kind of need to see this team get along and play well on the road. And maybe this year is not the best year to be trying to figure out your road concerns.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ben Simmons made that joke last year that they were always just more afraid of losing at home because they're in front <laughs> yeah. of the Philly fans, which I thought was pretty pretty interesting. But you ask any coach and any, any basketball player, really any athlete, and they'll tell you uh, your road record is really who you are, right? I mean, you're going to get into the playoffs and you're going to have some tough games on the road and you're going to have to win on the road. And they were terrible on the road last year. And, I'm not sure why that was either. Uh, but yeah, put that on a list of things, uh, the long list of things that we need to see from this team this year. Uh, still optimistic, though. You can't talk me out of it.
0: Well, I don't actually know when I'm thinking about this because I- I'm guilty of this. Like I said, I still sit here and say that I think they could reach the final. So I don't know whether that- that's me being optimistic about the Sixers or negative about every other team in the East. I'm not 100% sure. The
1: East is interesting, though, this year in a way that I don't think that it has been in a while. I mean, like, obviously, the Western Conference has been the superior and dominant conference for a while now. But if you look at this grab bag of teams, I mean, you've got the Bucks and the Raptors uh, and the Celtics and the Sixers and the Nets. Uh, and I'm, I'm probably, oh, and the Heat. Right, so there's six teams that are locked in in the Eastern Conference that you absolutely know are going to be in the playoffs, and then you've got those those last two spots that you could throw up to anybody. You know, apologies to the Pacers. Pro- Pacers have been there in that mix for a while, but you know, the, the Hawks are ascendant. Orlando's kind of interesting. Who knows what's going to happen with Washington? Uh, I'm with you that it wouldn't surprise me if the Sixers go to the finals. But really, of those six teams that I that I outlined that I think are locked, it wouldn't surprise me if any of them advance because I. I think that they're really all uh, very close to each other in, in tiers in terms of talent.
0: All right. Before we wrap this up, it's it's topical today because I've woken up over here to this news, which is kind of fascinating. How do, how seriously do we take um, tampering in the NBA? Just if, if I throw that sentence out to you, uh, it, you know, the Bucks. The Bucks, I, I believe, lost a twenty twenty two second round pick for the Bogdanovich saga, which I think will go down as his, in history as one of the strangest periods we've seen in trade slash free agency yeah how serious do we take it or
1: does the league take it
0: um we can say both i think they're probably pretty similar uh not not very seriously
1: yeah not very seriously because i mean if we're being honest like if they really really wanted to check under the hood my uh Feeling My gut feeling here is that they'd find a lot more instances than just the Bucks <laughs> violation. I mean, Magic Johnson, when he was running the Lakers, went on television multiple times and said that he had talked to uh, Paul George. <laughs> I mean, like, he was just getting fined all the time. So uh, I think like, if they scratched the surface there, they'd, they'd find a lot of infractions, but I don't think that they're awfully inclined to scratch the surface.
0: All right. Well, I, when we teed this up late last week, I was curious to see – Given some of the reports that were coming out, there was a, you know, a flurry of Ben Simmons news late last week. And I, you know, even though Daryl Morey came out and said that Ben Simmons, we are not trading him, uh, I don't think anyone can possibly take that seriously. Anything could still happen. And I was wondering whether there would be a trade before we got to speak. But to this point, it looks like he's at least going to start the season on the Sixers, which again, I think uh, maybe a little biased, but I'm happy to see. I still think there is that there's a, a winning future in Philadelphia. Not to get you too excited, John.
1: Let's give him a chance, right? Let's give him a chance and see. It could be good. And if it's not, Daryl will fix it. Uh, And Daryl, we trust.
0: The one thing I know is that if Ben Simmons was ever traded from Philadelphia, he's going to be one of those players that Sixers fans are going to watch every single game and watch every Mm. single step and just hope that he doesn't become the superstar that they thought that he could have in Philadelphia, which is the tough part about trading a young star.
1: You have a miniature, uh, much less talented version of this happening <laughs> as we speak with Markel Foltz, who all of a sudden looks like he's okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people are losing their minds. And if that happened with Ben Simmons, if he went off and even was like, forget about, as we said, he's never going to be like a league average shooter or even a 30% shooter from three. But if all of a sudden he went off to like the Lakers or who knows, wherever else, and just showed that he would try to shoot, people would never get over it. So... Uh, let's see if he'll do that here first before we have to agonize over him doing it somewhere else.
0: All right. Well, next time we're back, we will have Christmas basketball to completely overreact to, which, uh, again, John, we know last year, Philadelphia perhaps looked their absolute best on Christmas Day uh, last season. They, they looked like a team that was going to win the title with ease. So uh, we'll see. We'll be able to overreact to that next week. But, John, uh, really appreciate you taking your time here today.
1: What a delight. Happy holidays to you, my friend.
0: All right, that's going to do it for us this week. We will be back again next week, of course. Thanks again to John for jumping on the line and chatting with me today. And uh, listen, we'll just see what comes up next in the world of basketball. I have to mention so many Australians getting the job done over there in the US and particularly Dante Exum, a guy that we all want to see play well. Uh, Had a big game the other night for the Cavs uh, in uh, the preseason game there. So we'll keep an eye on Dante and see if he can start to find some form at the nba level and some good luck with some health we would all like to see that but for all the aussies in the nba we'll be keeping an eye on those guys and be keeping you guys up to date weekly on the pick and roll podcast like i said right off the top if you don't subscribe to the pick and roll you should consider it there's some great stuff coming on on the website and of course now uh, with basketball starting in america college basketball underway basketball in Europe still going on and the NBL just around the corner there's never been a better time to subscribe so uh, please do consider and share share the word about this podcast and the work everyone is doing over there but for now uh, for John and myself we'll leave it there we'll speak to you guys next week